Well, growing up in New York during the 40s, 50s, 60s, it's uh, very easy to understand why this very famous author's first novels were about New York City detectives. Um, bestsellers, of course. Um, his first major novel was By the Rivers of Babylon, uh, which is still in pr- uh, print, published in 1978. He's been quoted as one of the greatest storytellers of our times, with uh, over 20 novels, I believe. Uh, we'll get clarification in a second. Uh, excuse me. Uh, I welcome for the second time New York Times bestselling author Nelson DeMille. How are you, Nelson? I'm doing well, Greg. Thank you. Good. Thank you for coming on the show. How many novels now do we have? Do you have? Well, there are 16 major mm-hmm. novels, yeah. and, and, the, and the ones you mentioned, which are the old... Uh, Joe, Joe Riker, NYPD, which were written during the 70s, um, right. written at a time when, and these were paperback originals, and they were written at the time of Serpico and the Knapp Commission and Batman and Robin and all that stuff, you know, when New York City was really, uh, really crime-ridden. Sure. And uh, so that was natural that I would write about that, and uh, they were successful, but uh, in 1978, as you say, I wrote my first major hardcover novel by the Rivers of Babylon, which is a completely different thing. It was like a the terrorist book about uh, Islamic terrorism, and nobody was writing about that then except uh, the guy who wrote uh, uh, Black Sunday and uh, uh, Harris. Yeah, and uh, it, it it kind of it did very well because it kind of uh, touched on a subject that was just uh, coming, you know coming into people's consciousness, and uh, from there, the rest is history. Well, uh, is, is, is that one of the reasons why you uh, re, rewrote the quest, uh, your new launch? Um, uh, just what have you done to the quest? Yeah, the quest was written in 74. This was before By the Rivers of Babylon. I was a young, you know, inexperienced writer, and uh, the quest is about uh, the search for the Holy Grail the cup used by Christ at the Last Supper, uh, which is briefly mentioned in uh, the Old, in the, sorry, the New Testament. Uh, you know, but over the years, there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of legends have swirled around the Grail. It's magical, it's mystical, it heals people, and of course, uh, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table was about search for the Holy Grail, and now Lord Tennyson wrote his epic poem. And uh, since then, we've had Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And uh, <laughs> this book is more like uh, Indiana Jones meets the Da Vinci Code, and it was just a good story, a timeless story. Yeah. And I went back and I reread it about two years ago, and I said, you know, uh, this. I didn't really do the book justice. I wasn't that good a writer, and I was kind of confined to the length of the book because of the old paperback format. Uh, and I went to my publisher and I said, I really want to redo this book, and. Not often in life you get a chance to do a do-over, uh, but they said, fine, we like the story. And so I sat down and I rewrote it. I really doubled the size of the quest. It was 75,000 words. Now it's about 140,000. Mm-hmm. And a little bit more texture, a little bit more richer, a little bit more, um, mm-hmm. a little bit more romance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, you know, and maybe the experience of 40 years of writing and the experience of just living life for 40 years. So, <laughs> so it's, it's obviously a much better book. And, so we put it out in hardcover, which I was happy to see after all this time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, well, talking about uh, freshening up and whatever, um, um, the, the quest, to me, um, raises or, or poses the question of where Christianity really started. There's, there's I guess, there, 
a couple of views. You know, the Armenians uh, tried to or, or is, are trying to establish, uh, I, since then, I, I think since uh, 208 A.D., um, uh, the beginning of Christianity. But, but also over the past few years, as you know, there's been a lot of uh, major stories about Christianity uh, in Ethiopia. As a matter of fact, there's, there's a tribe or something out there that actually protects um, where the, the Holy Grail is supposed to be. <laughs> Am I way right. off base? <laughs> uh, no, that's right. And, and Ethiopia is really a biblical land. A lot of people don't realize that because it's deep in the heart of Africa. But because it's uh, on the Nile, uh, this is you know, easy communication, transportation between Ethiopia and, uh, and Egypt, where Christianity was also uh, the religion before the uh, coming of Islam. Yes. So, you know, when Islam swept through the Middle East and uh, kind of wiped out Christianity, Ethiopia became this kind of backwater of old Christianity, and it still is today to, to a large extent. And uh, the Ethiopians claim uh, two, uh, two important relics. One is the Holy Grail, as you say, which is what the quest is about, and the other one is the Ark of the Covenant, right. which they have uh, actually on view. You can go to a small uh, church guarded by... Uh, Coptic monks, mm-hmm. and uh, I know people have done this, and uh, not a big tourist place, but if you go there, you, you're one of the few Westerners there, and you kind of knock on the door or whatever you do, and uh, they let you look at it from a distance, you know, meaning the Ark of the Covenant. Now, is this really the Ark of the Covenant? I don't know. Uh, if it was, and Indiana Jones ought to be there you know, looking <laughs> for it. Uh, the Holy Grail is different, though. It's it's claimed to be there, but nobody knows where it is. It's not on view the way the uh, Ark of the Covenant is. So, and I, you know, I had this kind of history, you know, behind me. I was a history major in school, and so when I wrote the quest, you know, I brought all this into it, and uh, I find it fascinating because it's uh, it's the stuff of legends. It's a two thousand year old legend, and uh, we, you know, I think today we we're looking for something. I don't know what we're looking for, but. Uh, my characters, at least, are looking for the Holy Grail, which is supposed to have mystical powers to heal. <laughs> well, I, your characters allow the reader to uh, explore. Uh, your, your your books allow the reader to uh, um, relate to, you know, the the character, um, the thread that uh, ties the book together. Um, that's what's great about you, I I believe. You know, I'm not trying to pump you up, or, but but uh, mm-hmm. you know, in 1988, I read The Charm School. That was the first book I read of yours, and I am dying for you to redo this because I think this would be absolutely phenomenal, especially modern times. What's going on today? The Charm School is an amazing book. I mean, I I've I got do. an old paperback that looks like. Uh, you know, it's been through the uh, ringer, but uh, it, it, that that was one of your best books ever, I think. Uh, so well, that was fun because that was a Cold War thriller. You exactly. Know, that was, yeah, that was the age of the Cold War, and it was a whole genre of books called Cold War thrillers. And right, uh, I think a lot of novelists were uh, unhappy when the Cold War ended, <laughs> like John Lecrae and. Others who made a, a good living on the Cold War. I think you're right. Uh, that was the last of my Cold War books, and uh, you know it's hard to bring it back. Really? But I think we're seeing a resurgent Russia, so maybe there's something there. Well, there is. I, I've I've talked to a number of people: Peter Leonard, uh, Baldacci, uh, hmm. uh, Deaver. You know about 
about the uh, Larry Bond about the connection with uh, China and Russia today. The, a lot of people think that uh, we uh, we are, are being fooled <laughs> quite a bit. Uh, yeah, we always talk about why the hell does do we always go down the same path, make the same mistakes? You know, it's like this is, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy, and, right. that, and that's what's great about your books because they're they're escape mechanisms for me. You know, I mean, I'm I'm so sick and tired of what the hell's going on out there. I love just just chilling, um, and, and and reading about this. You know, and and what's really cool, also Nelson. I don't usually say this, but a lot of your books, most of your books, are plausible, which for the type of reader I am, they have to be plausible for me to get into it. Um, so what do you think about that? <laughs> well, you know, yeah, we're not, not going to mention authors who have implausible plots and implausible characters who are <laughs> supermen. Uh, my character, John Corey, who's um, on the Joint Terrorist Task Force in New York City, right. uh, is a plausible character. He's ex-NYPD homicide, now working for the feds. Right. And, you know, he's a strong hero. He's a strong man. And we always know we're in good hands with John Corey, and he's always going to get the bad guys. But uh, the books aren't, uh, you know, they're not comic books. And a, a lot of modern fiction writing, commercial fiction, is kind of comic bookish. And again, we won't mention any authors' names, at least <laughs> now. We can mention them later. But, uh, and I think people do do appreciate a man who's uh, vulnerable in some ways, but yet rises to the occasion and saves the day at the, at the end. Well, this is this is part of the point. Um, uh, we we can we can put ourselves in many situations. Uh, we 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 have an idea of how we, we we would respond or react to a certain situation, especially danger. Um, but uh, uh, you know, your your characters kind of portray what I would do. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm scared, but. I'm going to kill you first. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. Well, you do the right thing, you know, and, uh, you know, not to tell old war stories, but I was a, you know, combat infantry yes, officer you were. in Vietnam. Yep. And, you know, there was 13 months of being scared, but, you know, you do, you do what you got to do. And, uh, uh, you you know, on the one hand, it's, it's healthy to be frightened. That's what's going to make you survive, but you got to rise above that. But people are not frightened in combat. <laughs> or uh, either not real characters, or they're they're not they're not fully appreciating the situation. You know what I mean? Well, I I fortunately I was a uh, I think we talked I was a Navy corpsman, and I was on a little island called Diego Garcia in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Yeah. During yeah. the early seventies, uh, the Vietnam conflict, so we we saw post uh, uh, trauma victims uh, on their way to uh, uh, stateside or. Uh, or uh, Malaysia, yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, you you as a combat officer, uh, um, you've got you've got life experience. You can you you can take a you can take your situation. Um, you can pull um, and assimilate all those feelings and craft them into a character. And you know, damn it, that's why they're plausible to me because uh, you've got that life oh, thank experience. You, yeah, you know, and a lot of the old writers, and I'm thinking of Hemingway specifically, but there are others, uh, had these experiences, and uh, and then they wrote about them. Um, and, you know, my life is not one action adventure after the other. I did a lot when I was younger, but 
but a lot of writers don't have any experience. Unfortunately, they are really you know, armchair heroes, and they, they're making up characters that they've never lived. And I think there's something missing from those characters, and you can kind of tell. Uh, I didn't write many Vietnam novels. I only really wrote two, and I wrote really about Vietnam. One was Word of Honor, the other was Upcountry, and they were kind of post-Vietnam novels with the hero being a Vietnam veteran. Mm-hmm. But I, I understood that world, that what it would have meant to come home after, you know, after war. Um, but I carried some of that over into my other characters who are not particularly, you know, not specifically Vietnam veterans. But, uh, you know, they're heroes in, some, in another way. And John Corey, uh, this is the sixth book that I'm writing now with John Corey in it. And although he's not a Vietnam veteran, he's a, you know, he's, he's combat tested in uh and the NYPD, and he, uh, you know, he rises to the occasion. Well, um, the general's daughter uh, was a byproduct of that. I mean, uh, yeah, and that's why the general's daughter, I think, came off so well because <laughs> because you. Yeah, that was kind of. I wrote that during the uh, Gulf War. I was just fascinated by how the army had changed so much. And yeah. I was doing research and went down to Fort Hamilton and. The world had changed. The, uh, uh, the army had changed, but you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. The army is still the army, uh, but there were a lot more females in the army, and uh, the army wasn't becoming politically correct. But it wasn't the uh, the rough and tumble place it was when I was there. And uh, I try to bring that out in General's Daughter too, and, uh, and and they made a good movie out of it. I have to say, uh, I was. As an author, I was happy how they adapted the book into uh, into a feature film with uh, John Travolta. Right, right. Do Do you have any other books that are in development with uh, possible movies? Um, uh... Uh, not at the not no feature films, but okay. we uh, where uh, uh, the deal is just done. Just uh, finalized the deal for Plum Island as a hmm. ten part uh, TV miniseries. It can be cable TV. It's a ten one-hour segment, and uh, they're going to do the in, pretty much the whole book in ten hours. You can of TV, you can pretty much do a whole book. And this is my character, John Corey. Yes. And uh, we've got screenplay, we've got everything ready to go, and it's uh, Lionsgate Productions and Sony TV. Really? Uh, we're just looking for a, uh, a, a a male lead, if you know anybody. <laughs> uh, we're trying to find somebody who wants to do this, and the guy who's closest to saying yes. Is Aaron Eckhart, who uh, has never done TV before, but uh, but he loved the book Plum Island, so I think maybe we can find him. Who's up. who's Aaron Eckhart? Who is? Oh, he? you know he he's he's one of these uh, uh, stars that nobody knows. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Eckhart was the guy who was, and I can't even think of some of his stuff. He was in one of the Batman movies. But he's also in Thank You for Smoking. Okay, uh, and a few other movies and. Huh. He's considered a star, but you know, right? And you're not the first person to say who's Aaron Eckhart. Well. I just happened to catch him, and thank you for smoking. And he did such a great job; it was uh, really memorable. Oh, very good. And uh, he could, he could, he could play the character of John Corey. He's kind of sly, and not sly, but so much as wry, and and, and he's got a sense of humor, and he kind of reminds me of my character. Huh. <laughs> Hey, do you like anything else? Any other kind of genres? Were you into the Game of Thrones at all? Or uh, no? Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, being uh, being a being a guy from New York City, probably not. <laughs> but 
Um, I was yeah. just thinking of a few actors in, in that miniseries, um, um, actors I've never seen or heard of before, but my God, did they do a great job. Jesus. Of course, it... Cable TV has gotten so much better, as oh, you know. I tell mean, me about it. Uh, one of my books, Word of Honor, which was a post-Vietnam book, yes. was uh, made into a TNT TV movie uh, about 15 years ago, and I think TNT probably had about 35 viewers. <laughs> and uh, nobody. It was uh, Don Johnson actually played the lead. He did a good job, uh-huh. but I can't find anybody on the face of the earth who's ever seen it. And I, and I watched it, of course, because it was my my book. But uh, but uh, cable was uh, low production qualities in those days. Yeah. And uh, and you know and usually bad actors. Don Johnson was pretty big to be playing. Sure. Uh, you know a role in this uh, in this TV movie, but now. Uh, cable's gotten so much better. The money is there, and they're attracting uh, feature film actors, and they're also uh, attracting, in fact, have some of the best screenwriters in the business. Right. Some of the stuff is very clever, more clever than you see on the big screen in, in many cases. A lot of sex and violence, which is what everybody yeah. seems to want here. <laughs> and you can do that on cable, and you can't do it on broadcast. And, uh, right. Cable TV was so much like broadcast TV for many years, and you know they didn't realize what they could do, and and, and, and especially the longer formats where you can have a continuing series. Sure, sure. Which you could really explore the characterizations, and uh, you can also uh, you know tell a whole story. And uh, my favorite is Mad Men. I don't know if you watch Mad Men. But Are you I, kidding? I, I, I was in av- I was in advertising after the service in the seventies and eighties. Absolutely, okay. Mad <laughs> Men was fantastic. And it was so real. Yeah. I mean, it it's was real. It, it, it was you know exaggerated a little bit, but I remember those days. You know, um, you had a you had a party, <laughs> right. uh, a lot of cocaine. <laughs> you know, a lot of booze, um, a lot of side deals. You know, hell yes, that's right. oh yeah, absolutely. The yeah, set. I think they captured it. I mean, uh, I think this series, the, the chronology, is started in maybe '63 before JFK assassination. Mm-hmm. And I was old enough to remember. I was in college at the time, and I said, uh, my, my wife is much younger than me. She said, well, she's watching these guys carousing and drinking and chasing women and smoking in their office. And he said, is this the way it was? <laughs> yes. Said, yes. Yes. Yeah, as far as I remember, yeah, I don't remember at all, but uh, oh, I have some memory of that time. And then, of course, the real 60s came afterward, and... Uh, Right. Uh, but I, I was I was absent for about three years when I was in the army, so I missed some of that. Yeah, you did. You went you went in early sixties, didn't you? Or mid sixty six to sixty nine. All yeah. right, mid sixties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sixty five first air cav, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I got out in uh, April sixty nine, mm. and I came home to a very different world. And I always wanted to write a book about that. You know, I mean. Try to pitch it to my publishers, but it's hard to pitch, you know, feeling and how it was to re-enter the uh, the world after three years uh, in the army, two of those years down south, one in South Vietnam, mm-hmm. and uh, the whole world had changed from that uh, kind of bucolic, you know, and very uh, maybe naive mm-hmm. early sixties. And uh, when I came back, you know, it was bad homecoming, and mm-hmm. um, nobody cared about returning veterans. In fact. The extent that they cared, that, yeah, you were kind of a pariah. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I got my life back together. I went back, finished school, and uh, uh, had a series of jobs, none of them good, and 
it's hard to you know it's hard to do anything that you feel is meaningful after you've been you know a combat infantry officer. But one day I sat down and I said I'm going to write about Vietnam, and uh, that's how I became a writer. And I think uh, that was uh, probably the best move I ever made. Uh, get out of the corporate world and then to uh, then to something that I can uh, kind of you know make my own life. And mm-hmm. it's always scary though when you're self-employed. You wake up every morning wondering if you still have a job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I had a, I had a great job at the university uh, years ago, and uh, I got all this extra work. I, I was I, and and you know pie in the sky. Greg said, "Oh, screw it! I'll, I'll quit the university. I can make a ton of money." <laughs> of course, being in advertising and marketing, you have to remember one thing: the, the freaking work is cyclical. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, after yeah. a three-year ride, it was like, "Holy crap! What do I do?" <laughs> yeah. So now yeah, I got I got a sti- I got a safe city job now. Jeez. Um, you know, the, well, actually, go ahead, Nelson. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, you know, all of us have been through that time and that place. Uh, you know, it, it was tough, but, you know, I think there was a lot of optimism even then, and we always knew that we could, uh, there's something else to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I look at these kids, I have uh, two two kids, who are uh, not kids anymore, they're in their early 30s, mm-hmm. and it's a tougher world in, uh, in, in, in economic terms and in terms of uh, career than it was when we were growing up. We had a lot of latitude and a lot of aspirations, and, and, and you know, the, the economy in the world was expanding for us. Mm-hmm. Now it's gotten much tougher for these uh, young guys getting out of young women getting out of college, um, and I don't know if I was, you know, doing it over again of what I made the same decision. But I made the decision partly out of desperation. I just couldn't hold. I couldn't hold a job, so I said, <laughs> "Let me get a job uh, as a writer, writing for myself, and I can, you know, fire myself when I want, and I can. Uh, uh, I'm responsible for my own life, and I think uh, everybody who does that." Um, who was successful anyway? Yeah. Thinks they made the right decision, but you know there were there were years there when I was writing and not publishing, and uh, you know it was tough. But uh, all's well that ends well. Yeah. Were you pissed off back then? Were you? Did you have a? Did was mm. you know? I mean, yeah, you, that's a good question. Really? I know what you mean. Yeah, I was angry when I came out of the army. I was angry yeah. because. Uh, you know the anti-war attitudes, and I, you know, look, and I was anti-war too. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but I was an anti-military, and it was so much anti-military attitude as though yeah. we had started the war. You know, the army didn't start the war; it was the politicians who started the war. But uh, I went back to college, and uh, it was a very tough transition. Yeah. It was the height of the anti-war movement, and I was a veteran, and they knew it. And we had about 15 veterans used to hang together yeah. uh, because nobody else wanted to talk to us, you know. And it's hard to get a date, too. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. But, uh, but eventually uh, you, you, you put it behind you and you, you move on. You can't hold on to the anger. No, you can't. I, as I get older, I'm over 60 now, and as I get older, I, uh, I see life totally different, man. You know, back, back in the day... Um, you 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 could make mistakes, and they and they just did not impact you the way if you made a mistake today. Um, you talk about the new technology in a different world and all that stuff. Uh, my oldest is thirty five, and uh, she, uh, you know, I I can see in, down the road it is going to be tough. Uh, the world has changed. Um, uh, some of it for the good, some of it for the bad. You know, I'd rather. Uh, I'd rather just stay where I am right now. 
But yeah, yeah. I mean, don't don't you think? Uh, you know, we make mistakes in life, but uh, you know, uh, today, boy, it's you make a mistake. You know, especially with the social media and the way the you know banks and everything are connected. I mean, it's it's uh, it can hurt you. Yeah, it's, be- <laughs> it's become the world of Big Brother, hasn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, I. You know, again, people from our generation who, uh, you know, who grew up in a, in a time and place where you can, you kind of disappear. You remember, you used to drop out, and but now you're uh, you're totally connected. Yeah. And um, and if you're in the public eye, and you know, you're you got the radio show, and I got the, the writing gig, and uh, you find people talking about you online, and uh, you know, you got Twitter, and you got Facebook, and all that, and. Uh, even if you're looking for privacy, you're not going to find it. And uh, you have to deal with it. And I think we all have to deal with it. Even the average person has to deal with the fact that uh, things they might put on Facebook are probably not things they should have put on Facebook. <laughs> and it's out there forever and ever and ever. <laughs> oh, man, I don't use it. I <laughs> Some of my nieces and nephews, it's like, what the hell are you saying? Why are you... Why are you saying, okay, I've got the back door open, I'm going to go to the store, you can come in. You know, it's like, ah! Yeah, you know, whatever. Anyway. Well, <laughs> getting getting back, getting back to the quest. Um, um, okay, you you obviously did some research, you know, back in the day. Did you re-research when you rewrote? Or uh, you just, not or, really, because it was okay. mostly historical, and uh, it's, a, it's kind sure. of a period piece. Yeah. Set during the Ethiopian Revolution of '74, but I did have a lot of research that I didn't put in the book originally, and I actually saved it. Mm-hmm. So I was able to give the book, you know, a broader scope, talking a little bit more about, well, like we mentioned before, the Ark of the Covenant, which wasn't in the original book. Mm-hmm. But I'd done all that research, and I said, well, now I have the luxury of, you know, being a best-selling author. I can put whatever I want in the book without mm-hmm. having to worry about uh, word length. So. Yeah, I just really mined my old research again and uh, didn't go to Ethiopia the first time and didn't feel like going back the second time. But but again, with the magic of the Internet, you can find out a lot of things that uh, would have taken you weeks in the library to find. Now you can find them in an instant. Yeah, in a heartbeat. That's that's one of the good things about technology. Information is out there if you want it and you know how to use it. Absolutely. Um, it, we, we, uh, something just popped into my head. Word of honor, Vietnam. Um, maybe thinking about you know bringing that to life again. Boy, you know I could see I could see that maybe folding into a modern day soldier also coming back from from the uh, sand, and uh, uh, that might yeah. work. I mean. Not a bad idea. That's a good. I mean, think about it. Good, you know, good idea it, for a novel. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, Jim Jim D. Felice. You've probably heard of Jim D. Felice. He's a you know a war yeah. war story and type. It does a lot of work with Larry Bond and uh, you know. That's right. Uh, Jim's got a Jim's got a book out there, uh, Johnny Walker, uh, about a uh, uh, about someone who helped out yeah. uh, SEAL teams. And anyway. Um, right, the SEAL yeah. teams. Right, the SEALs yeah. are. The SEALs are very popular now because people are getting looking for heroes and oh yeah seals are our modern heroes and that's good yeah we like we all need heroes don't we in our life i mean you obviously had heroes in your life when you were younger and i did obviously um i <laughs> i remember going to the ymca or uh you know going to 
uh, we had uh, PAL, uh, Police Athletic League. Uh, we had, oh, yeah. We had the, uh, you know, local YMCA and, uh, you know, <laughs> my father used to take me there when I was younger and he'd pick up this 20-pound medicine ball. You know, the medicine balls were in the 50s, yeah. 60s. Remember that? It's like, here, woof. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. You don't, see, you don't see them anymore. <laughs> no, no, you don't. No, but you do see a lot of uh, uh, cops on the on the ground in New York City, which, thank God. <laughs> uh, I was in New York a couple, uh, about a year and a half ago, and uh, it was like, yeah, baby. <laughs> I I don't know about you, yeah, but I, no. I I like I like uh, I like how New York's been changed. I mean, New York's changed. yeah, New York is better. Uh, that's that's one of the things that has gotten better. It was a tough place when I was there in the seventies. I lived there for a while, and uh, right. you know, you really had to think twice when you went on the streets at night. It was again during the era of the Map Commission and Serpico and sure. the French Connection, and it was a tough place. Uh, now it's gotten to be a nice city, and uh, it's. Uh, you know, my my two children who are grown are in their early thirties, mm-hmm. live there, and I don't feel uh, mm-hmm. the way my parents did when I went to the city. They said, "Oh my God, you know, he's going to get killed. Right. You know, he's going to get killed in Vietnam. He's going to get killed in New York." Right. And actually, he had a better chance of getting killed in New York than he did in Vietnam toward the end of the Vietnam War. But yeah. now I feel the the kids are safe, and then, you know, this, this, uh, uh, although I write about New York City a lot, uh, very different than my original books, which was Joe Riker, NYPD, right. written in the 70s when it was a very tough place. Right. And the city's is background now. It's not the, the drama of you know crime and drugs that it used to be. No. Hopefully. Greg, I'm sorry, we're out of time. Okay. Hey, we can we can edit this. Nelson, thanks, man. I, I, I love talking to you. Um, Greg, thanks so much. I'll get that book to you. I'll get it in the mail today, actually. All right, Nelson, I appreciate it. See you later. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.